All right, good morning, guys. I didn't know this until this moment, but now we need volunteers to go through and WD-40 every seat. So if you want to volunteer for that, you're welcome to do that. So we're jumping into a fun psalm this morning, Psalm 96. And Psalm 96 is a vision for our lives. Now, there's a blessing and a problem with vision. I think for some of us, when we hear vision, we get overwhelmed by the bigness of it. But the blessing of vision is encapsulated in what my wife's dad used to say to her when she was a kid. She describes how her dad used to get down on her level when she was a little girl, and he used to say, Melissa, you can fly. Now, she didn't really believe that she could fly, but it created a context for her with her dad relationally where she knew that he had her best at heart and believed that she could do anything. And here is what God is going to say to us through this psalm. I want your life to sing. I want your life to praise. And that's because we were created to praise God. And so we're going to see five different ways that God is dreaming that our lives would be for his glory and honor and praise, that our hearts would sing. The first way we see that we were created to praise God is that we were made to sing to him. Look at Psalm 96, verses 1 through 2. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Now, as I began to study this, I began to feel so known and so loved by God by these couple verses. And that's because I felt like God knows me. He doesn't just say, sing a song, because he knows how quickly I get tired of certain songs, especially being in ministry. So let me just confess something to you guys. I kind of hate the song Oceans, okay? Now, I just saw some of your faces went, oh my goodness, he's a pastor. Are you allowed to say that? But, but let me fill in the context a little bit, guys. Okay, for a long time, soon after the song Oceans came out, I was in three worship services a week. And every time I was in a worship service, we sang the song Oceans. I loved the song Oceans the first million times that I sang it. But now if it comes on the radio, my heart just sinks. I'm just like, oh, I used to love that song, but it does nothing for me anymore. And so God ministered to me through this because like, Drew, I know you. I know that you need new songs. Why do we need new songs? Because our hearts often get cold. It's not that we don't love God anymore. It's that we need a new tune to sing the same old truths. I love Isaac's leading of our church in worship because we sing old songs. We sing hymns. We sing modern songs. And we are writing new songs as a church. 
And I think the diversity of worship expression helps to keep all of our hearts fresh. As I was studying this passage, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a little homework for myself, and I'm actually going to find a new song. And I found out that one of my favorite artists, a guy named Josh Garrels, had written a new song called All in All. So as I was preparing this message, I pulled up his song on Bandcamp. I turned it up and I listened to it and I felt my heart reignited with love for God. Just the new tune, the new song made me worship God in a fresh way. And I think the psalmist, David, who was a musical artist, is saying to us, maybe the problem isn't just the coldness of your heart. Maybe you don't need to go super introspective and dive into all your motives and say, man, why is my heart cold to God? Maybe you just need to go on YouTube and find a new song. Isn't that such a great application? Like your homework, go on YouTube, find a new song, sing it this afternoon, and let your heart reignite with love for God. So that's the first thing, sing to him. The second thing that the psalmist tells us to do in order to praise God is to declare his glory. Look at 96, three through six. It says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Okay, guys, did you catch that super offensive statement in that passage? All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. And there's some of us who are like, more maybe on like the fundamentalist side, we're like, go get them. Yep, all the gods of the peoples are, are worthless idols. And then some of us maybe more on the liberal side in the room are like, that is so offensive. I can't believe that you're saying that in modern Western culture. Well, here's, here's what's happening in the passage. The psalmist is an equal opportunity offender. Okay? He is saying all the gods of the peoples. Now, that included, and maybe the Israelites missed this, that included their gods. And I think that we're more in their camp than we are in the camp of people that are worshiping other false gods that are, they call gods. Here's, here's our problem, is that we don't call the things that we worship gods. We don't have a sex god and a vacation god and a money god, but we are no less devoted to those things than other people are to their gods. And here's the problem. Whatever you worship will end up controlling your life. Whatever you worship will either end up coming through for you or it will end up devastating you. And many of us have lived enough life to know that we've put the weight of our worship one too many times in the wrong place. And we thought that money 
or we thought that that next vacation, or we thought that that relationship would satisfy us, and it ended up leaving us more empty than we were before. And David is saying, here's what you need. You need to declare his glory. That is in your heart to realize and say those worthless things that I've been chasing after cannot satisfy me. Only God can satisfy me. Now, my son Gabe this week unexpectedly preached this message to me. I was out in my driveway and I was playing catch with my boys. And my son, Gabe, had his bike helmet on while we were playing catch because he had just been riding a ripstick around the driveway. And my son Luke threw the ball to Gabe and it kind of went off his glove and it hit him in the helmet. And so I just instinctively was laughing with Gabe and I'm like, well, safety first, Gabe. And Gabe just stops, gets the smile on his face. He goes, dad, safety second. And he, and he just looks at me like, right? And he goes, God first. <laughs> and, and I was like, you know what? That is what David is exhorting us to do here. Like, we have this tendency, right? Like, I'm like, Gabe, you are right. Safety is not the most important thing. God is the most important thing. Sex is not the most important thing. God is the most important thing. That relationship is not the most important thing. God is the most important thing. And I think the application for us is to say with our words that that is true so that our hearts will follow, so that idols become just good things and stop being God things in our lives. So we declare that truth. You are a good thing, but you are not my God. God first, whatever else second. Okay, so we sing to him, we declare his glory. The third thing is kind of a close companion to declaring his glory, but it has a slightly different nuance. We are to ascribe glory to him. Verses seven through nine say, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord, glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So that word ascribe means to regard as a quality belonging to. It means to give God his due at the level of your heart. So here's what's true of us, especially those of us who are crusty Christians, who have been Christians for a long time. You can give the right answer. You've been given the right answer since you were six years old in Sunday school. Who's the most glorious person in the universe? Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, right? You know about the Trinity, you know all these things. But it is possible for us to begin to give lip service to that and not to actually regard God as glorious. 
We give lip service, but we do not ascribe to him the glory that is due his name. Now here's the good news of that, is that God wants us to experience him at the level of our heart. Here's the bad news of that. That is not something that you can manufacture. I was reminded of that when I had my eye on the Asbury revival that happened this year in Kentucky. And I went back and I watched the sermon given that supposedly sparked the revival. And do you know what I was struck by? The sermon wasn't that good. Like I was, I was in there, I mean, to be honest, as a preacher, I'm like, can I like take some stuff from this guy? Maybe I could start a revival, that'd be awesome. And I went and watched the sermon, I'm like, not that good. <laughs> Do you know what? The preacher didn't start the revival. The revival wasn't anybody's idea. What happened? God came into the room in a unique way and God sparked the revival. The only one who can cause us at the level of our heart to ascribe the glory due to God's name, which the effects of it are described in this passage. If this really came home for us, we would be people who tremble before God, who willingly offer not just one day a week, but our whole lives to God as an offering. We would be people who love God from the level of our soul. And our Father in heaven is saying to us this morning, I want that for you. Like Some of us are so tired of going through the motions of Christianity. And God is saying, I want to light that fire in you again. I want you to ascribe glory to me. Would you, this afternoon, bow before God and admit, my heart has been cold, and say, I cannot light that flame in me again. Would you do that for me? Okay, So we sing to him, we declare his glory, we ascribe glory to him. Fourthly, we say he is king. Look at verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. So we are to say in this God-forsaken world that God is king. That means two things. He is the creator. He established the world. And his moral order makes sense. That is, his law is good. Now, the psalmist describes for us how we are to do that with the little word in this passage, among. Notice, he doesn't say that we are to be culture warriors who say God is king over the nations. We are not people who believe that we are superior to other people. 
So we don't come triumphalistically believing we have all the right answers and preach to everybody all the time. We are to say the Lord reigns among the nations. Here's the call for each of us to see our neighborhood and our gym and our workplace as a mission field. And we are to live among people ready to give the reason for the hope that is in us. And when asked what we believe, we are to say with clarity and compassion what we believe in the context of a loving relationship with that person. Our words need to match the strength of the relationships that we have. That's what it means to share the good news that God is king among the nations. One of the people who has most shaped me in understanding this way of relating to the world is a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. And she wrote this in her book called Openness Unhindered, where she talks about the way that she interacts with her neighbors and friends when it comes to sharing the good news of the gospel with them. She says this, on the biblical side, we often have failed to offer loving relationships and open doors to our homes and hearts. Openness so unhindered that we are as strong in loving relationship as we are in the words we wield. We also have failed to discern the true nature of the Christian doctrine of sin. For when we advocate for laws and policies that bless the relationships that God calls sin, we are acting as though we think ourselves more merciful than God is. Do you see what she's saying? We move into our neighborhoods and workplaces with more compassion than our liberal friends and with purposeful truth like our fundamentalist friends, but it's done in love. So our hearts and our homes need to be open if our mouths are open. And isn't it true that when somebody is your friend, you speak differently to them? So the psalmist is saying, listen, I want you to be the type of people that love the world so much that you would be willing to say the truth to people in love. So we sing to him, we declare his glory, we ascribe glory to him. We say he is king in the context of loving relationships with our unbelieving neighbors. And finally, we let his creation speak. This one's easy. <laughs> Starting with verse 11. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the seas roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all of the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness 
and the peoples in his faithfulness. So he ends not with a direct command to us, but with a posture that we are to have toward God's creation. We are to let, that is to allow creation to say to us what it has to say. The psalmist personifies the creation. He says, look at the heavens. That's the stars. He's saying, they're glad. He's saying, look at the earth. It's rejoicing. Look at the sea. It's roaring. Look at the field. It's exulting. Look at the trees of the forest. They're singing. He's saying, if you'll stop and shut your yapper and listen to the creation, you will realize that the inanimate creation cannot help but praise God. Even those things that have not been made in God's image were made for his glory. So I think what the psalmist is saying is not just that this is another thing we are to do, let the creation sing, but this is the basis for everything that we are to do in the psalm. Here's what I mean by that. If we will sit in God's word and in his creation, and we will let creation teach us how to praise God, with our Bibles open so that we don't go into some weird paganism, but we understand that creation is a good gift that points us to God, not God. If we will do that, what will happen is our hearts will be melted and we will want to join that song. And all we have to do is turn the phone off to be silent long enough to hear, to sit outside, to listen, to not even pray audibly, but to say, here I am, God. I'm listening. Would you speak? You know, all of us get frustrated when we're at an event And somebody is talking when they shouldn't be talking. I was reminded of this recently. I went to a St. Paul Chamber Orchestra concert with my sister, Anna. And we're sitting. And there was an older gentleman there. I'm sure very well-meaning. He had a good heart. But the, the symphony was beginning to play. And he was talking loudly to his wife. And it's like the whole crowd is, well, we were sitting really close. Maybe it was just us. I'm, I'm, you know, blaming my probably sinful attitude on the crowd, but you, okay, just, just bear with me on that. Everybody was so mad at this guy. All right. Like, Would you be quiet? We're not here to listen to you. We're here to listen to them. And I think God is saying to us gently, patiently, he's saying, would you open your ears Close your mouth, listen, and see that the song is not about you. 
You're not the center of this story, and that is good news. You were made to see me and enjoy me and love me and know me, and I want your heart to stop grumbling and being disappointed with the idols in your life, and I want your heart to be satisfied in me. I want your joy. I want you to know and to worship me with all of your being. And you know what the creation is specifically revealing to us? If we'll listen. Romans 8 says that the creation is groaning. And it's groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. What creation is saying is that we are sons and daughters of God. And it's like creation is like, will you join the song? This is what you were made for. And one day, guys, this creation will be remade and renewed. And you will be remade and renewed. This is only going to partially happen in our lives now. This dream is going to be fulfilled in moments, but we will stay sinners. But one day, when Jesus comes back, the whole creation will be made new. I think we might be able to audibly hear creation sing then. And we will sing forever. So let's join the song now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you don't just command us in your word, but you dream for us. I pray that there would be this longing in our heart, not, not this guilt, but this longing, God, that we would want to sing, that we would want to declare, that we would want to listen that we would hear the good news all around us, that you are remaking us, that you are remaking this creation, that you are good and that you are glorious. Would you give us eyes to see this week? And I pray for that person who's, who's in a lot of pain this morning, that they would have the courage this afternoon to go on YouTube or Spotify or whatever it is, to find a new song and that you would teach their heart to sing again. Pray this all in Jesus' name.